Jesus told stories to teach, to relate truths to people's lives, to help us understand God, to help us have a better life. Oftentimes, he started his storytelling by saying, It's like a farmer who went out to plant some seed. It's like a man who had two sons. It's like a king who called his servant in to settle the debt he owed. It's like a man who was attacked by robbers on his way to Jericho. It's like a rich man who had an abundant harvest. It's like a man of noble birth who gave a servant some money to invest. It's like... It's like... It's like... Good morning. Welcome to the third week of a series called It's Like. And we're looking at stories that Jesus told in the New Testament. They're called parables. The word parable just means to to bring things side by side. And the reason Jesus told these stories was so we could find ourselves in the stories that he told. We could discover things about God's love and God's will and our actions and our heart and our attitudes as we listen to the stories that Jesus told and, and find ourselves in them we will know more what it means for us to bring our lives in line with God's desire for the way that we should live. And so over and over again, Jesus taught using these stories. And we picked out six that we think are are very important for us to kind of wrap our heads around and will help us, whether we're searching for something deeper in life or we're just showing up to church for the first time or if you followed Christ for years We selected these six to help everybody, no matter where they are in their journey of faith. When our girls were little, I mean, they still do, but when they were little, they would do things that they shouldn't do. And maybe then it was just uh, answer incorrectly, not say please or be grouchy or something like that. And occasionally, I would get a note from one of them that asked me to forgive them. And it word, the words were all spelled wrong and, and the sentences didn't really all fit together perfectly. But what they were saying is, Dad, I, I, I'm sorry, could you forgive me? You know, and it's like, yes, whatever, sure, I can. It's easy, easy to do. Even the jerk that cut me off while I was driving yesterday and I had to slam on my brakes. After the anger kind of, you know, welled up. Okay, I forgive you, because I've been the jerk sometimes that cuts people off. Things happen to us every day that we have to kind of give people a pass. We have to kind of let them slide. We have to just kind of let them, you know, okay, I'm going to forgive you for that. But what happens when the issues get a little deeper? A few years ago, I sat across my desk from a person who had done something terrible, that's stolen from me, that affected a lot of other people. And then it was like, oh, this, this is not as easy as one of my girls writing me a note and asking me to forgive them. It's not as easy as, you know, the, the hurried lady who cuts in front of you in the express line with 200 items. It, it's a little bit more difficult when it starts to be personal, when it starts to be something that, wow, this, this kind of, this hurts. And it, it makes us say, you know, life just isn't fair. 
Anybody's kids ever say that? Mom, Dad, that's not fair. The best thing you can say is, life's not fair, get over it. It's best you just learn that now while you're a kid, that life isn't fair. Everything doesn't always go in your favor. Everything's not always going to be all perfect. Sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, life just isn't fair. And it leaves us with questions, and it leaves us with, how are we going to deal with this person who hurt me? Especially when the stakes get higher, when dad or mom walk out, when someone steals from you, when a very close friend betrays you and hurts you deeply, when a spouse says, I just don't love you anymore, I want to go, when an employer says, you're cut, when you find out someone has wronged you terribly and the stakes are higher Forgiveness gets a little bit more difficult. And so the legitimate question is, what am I supposed to do? How do I respond when people have wronged me? Pierce O'Farrell was one of the victims in the recent Colorado shooting. He was shot three times. He nearly died. His life is altered forever. He'll have unimaginable pain for the rest of his life because of what he saw because of what happened to him physically and emotionally. So he very legitimately could ask the question, how do I respond when somebody has really wronged me? There's a story in the New Testament that starts Jesus' parable that we're going to talk about today where one of Jesus' followers had the same question. What am I supposed to do when somebody wrongs me, when they really hurt me, when they deserve to be kicked in the shins? When they deserve a punch in the mouth, what, what am I supposed to do? The question goes like this. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21, it says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now this question that Peter asks, is not out of the blue. He's not just walking along and goes, oh, by the way, Jesus. Jesus had just finished talking about the proper way to handle when you have conflict with someone else. The proper way to handle when somebody's hurt your feelings or done you wrong. The right way to deal with it. And Jesus says the right way to deal with it is you go to them and you say, you hurt my feelings. Or you betrayed me. We need to work this out. And Jesus said, if they won't listen to you, then you need to get some trustworthy people and you need to go and say, look, you people, I want you to see, I'm trying to work this out with this person and they're not willing to or they don't want to. And then if that that doesn't work, Jesus said, hold them at arm's length because essentially he's saying they can't really be trusted. If they won't listen, if they won't discuss, if they won't even consider that they could have done something that hurt your feelings or messed up your life, Jesus said, hold them at arm's length and watch out. So Peter wants to know, all right, you're saying to do this, but how far should I go, Jesus? Is that just two or three times? What is it? So tra- tra- traditionally in this time, rabbis said that you had to forgive somebody three times. If they did something to you on the third time, you were done. Three strikes, you're out, no more forgiveness. So Peter, feeling like he's probably superior because he's getting to hang out in this close-knit circle with Jesus, says, I'm going to double it and add one. So Jesus, seven times, probably thinking he's going to hear, Peter, you're awesome. 
seven times. But Jesus responds with, oh, no, 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 not seven times. 77 times. And what Jesus, he's not saying on the 78th time, kick them out. Jesus is saying, as long as people are asking, you never withhold forgiveness. This whole episode likely came about between the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was a time when the Jewish nation remembered how much God had forgiven them and given them as a nation. But before they could go to God and get forgiveness, they had to make amends with brothers and sisters. Not just in their family, but other Jewish people. Other people in their community. You've got to make amends. So this whole idea of the Day of Atonement was, God, thank you for what you've done for me. I appreciate the forgiveness. Hey, I'm going to forgive you for whatever you did to me. You were a jerk, but I forgive you. And so that's what's going on when Jesus goes into this, this story about, hey, if somebody sins against you, this is how you go and you show them their fault. If they won't listen, bring somebody with you. And if they won't listen, just kind of hold them at arm's length and be careful because they can't be trusted. So Jesus uses a parable to help Peter better understand this idea of how we should forgive others. And he talks about a king, and it starts in verse 23 of Matthew 18. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That's some debt. Got to sell your family. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged, I will pay it back, everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, this is a big deal that this debt got canceled. I mean, it's huge because 10,000 talents was equivalent, well, it was equivalent to 200,000 years of work. So there's no way the guy could have repaid it. An average laborer learned, earned one talent for 20 years labor. And in the, in the Roman Empire, 10,000 was the highest number for which the Greek language had a particular word. So Jesus is trying to say, this guy had a debt that there was no way he could pay. Equivalent of a trillion dollars. Just wrap your head around that. This guy was in debt. Can you imagine the weight that was on his shoulders? If you've ever, ever carried a lot of financial debt, I mean, just on your shoulders, like if you've become overwhelmed with unmanageable debt, you know how that walks with you in every area of your life, how it affects every relationship and every decision and every thought about the future is this debt. How am I going to get out from under it? And that guy had thousands or millions times more debt than you did. So just imagine, whatever your greatest debt is, probably for most of us, it's our mortgage. And, and you get your statement from Bank of America, and it says, paid in full. There'd be a party at my house, I'll tell you that. You're all invited. Just come on over. It's on me. Could you imagine that? And could you imagine what this guy must have felt when he came before his king. See, because then you didn't just 
get your credit score lowered when you had too much debt. You got thrown into prison. You got tortured. Your family got sold into slavery. And sometimes you were executed because of debt. So this servant goes before his king and he says, just give me the chance. I'll pay it back. And something about the way he asked or something about the king's heart that day made the king say, debt canceled. It's done. The guy comes in hopeless with this weight on his back and he leaves with this fresh start, a new outlook, starting over. If you went to college, you know, when you're in school and the new semester starts, what a big deal. It's a fresh slate. doesn't matter. As long as I didn't mess up too many semesters in a row and they let me come back, I got a brand new slate. All you kids are getting ready to start the new school year. You all have A's right now. Isn't that awesome? You've all got A's and then you're going to work your way, hopefully, up, not down. But we all start out at the beginning of a, who go to school like, wow, it's, it's a new year. I'm going to do great. That's the feeling this guy must have had. Fresh, clean slate. But that's not what his actions prove. You would think he would just leave dancing and, you know, drinks on me for everybody. All my debt just got canceled. But listen what happened. In Matthew 18, verse 28, it says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe to me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now this one servant was just forgiven of the equivalent of 200,000 years of work, which means there's no way he could ever repay it. And then he meets up with a fellow servant who owed him what would be the equivalent of about 100 days work. Just a fraction of what he owed, someone owed him. And apparently, choking is an option when somebody owes you money. So he starts to choke the guy, and he's like, please, I'll pay you back. Just give me a chance. And he wouldn't do it. it When I read that, I think, how how could somebody be so, so dumb? How could they do that? Obviously, that's what the people standing around who saw him choking his buddy That's what they thought too. Because the story goes on. It says when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. He's saying, I, I canceled your debt. There was no way, insurmountable. You could never repay it. Why couldn't you cancel his? And so the king says, I'm going to give you the original punishment, plus I'm going to torture you. Now, that might sound harsh. But just in case people still thought in this story, Jesus was trying to illustrate a point about money. He lays out a very stern warning and he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. So Jesus lays out a principle here. I mean, this is, this is like serious teaching from Christ. 
And he lays out this principle of what you receive from me, you need to be the conduit to get that out to other people. That works. The forgiveness you receive from me, you need to give that out to other people. The grace and the mercy you receive from me, you need to give that out to other people. The, the talent that you've received from me, use that to help other people. The finances that I've blessed you with, use that to help other people. It's a principle throughout the teachings of Christ. And he's saying there's some pretty serious consequences if we choose not to forgive as God has forgiven us. And he doesn't just say forgiveness. He says forgiveness from the heart. I was sitting with this couple who's having some marriage problem. This was years ago in another town, so no way anybody knows them. All right, so I don't think, who knew that was? <clears throat> so we're sitting there, and, and he, he said, I just want her to forgive me. And she said, I forgave you. And he goes, well, why do you bring it up all the time? Why do you remind me what I did? And he had done something pretty bad. Why do you remind me all the time? She said, well, you I'm not going to just let you forget it. I'm not just going to let you think you got all free on this. That's not forgiveness from the heart. Well, she forgave, but she was going to make sure he felt the consequences of what he did. And it seemed like on a daily basis. While it's true that he needed to experience some consequences for what he had done, she wasn't the one to divvy out those consequences. If she said, I forgive you, then it needed to be dropped. Jesus says to this unmerciful servant, this person who wouldn't forgive, that they were to be tortured. Some of the most tortured people I know are people who just can't forgive. Who just can't let their heart, just let it go, cancel the debt of the other person. If you're taking notes, write down, unforgiveness is torture. Not forgiving hurts me more than it hurts the offender. And you might think, well, that's not fair. It just, it's not fair. They really hurt me. It's not fair. There's a lot of things in life that's not fair. Every time I look at my head from the back in a mirror, it's not fair, Right? <laughs> I would prefer not to have that little bald spot. I call it little back there. I, would re I, I love cars. I really do. I noticed cars. Noticed car it's a weakness. I lust after cars. I really do. Confess it to you. I mean, I know, like, if I see a 911 or if I see a, if I see a Jag or something, I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. I don't have one. I'm never going to have one. It's not fair. Life sometimes just isn't fair. So we have a choice. Am I going to wallow in the fact I have a bald spot? Am I going to wallow in the fact all the time that I don't have a car that I look at and admire? No. So don't wallow in the fact that somebody hurt you. Forgive them. Release their control over you and move on. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. To Jesus, forgiveness is serious business. I mean, here's what's happening. That servant goes in and he's like, give me, give me, give me. Please give me time. I, wanna, I, I, want, I want you to give me time to pay this debt. 
And then he goes out to this other guy and the guy says, forgive me. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. I mean, there are people, I've heard people say, it will be a cold day in hell before I forgive that person. And Jesus is saying, I can arrange that, but it's not going to be cold. (laughs) So forgive people when they hurt you, when they do you wrong. That's the point of this message. The greatest hesitancy I've seen when people say, I I just can't forgive them because I don't want to excuse what they did. It doesn't excuse what a person did. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't give them a break. It releases them from having control over you. It might restore a relationship. It doesn't always. The relationship still might end. But at least that person no longer has control over you. And as long as you harbor unforgiveness, its weight will be on you emotionally and even physically. So Jesus is saying, I need to turn my attention from their sin to mine. From their mess to my mess. In other places, in other part of Jesus' teaching, he says, you need to pray for your enemies. You need to pray for people who persecute you and not like, oh God, please allow them to catch an infectious disease. You know, that's not the way you're supposed to pray. Let them step out in front of a truck, Lord, please. That's not the kind of prayer he's saying. He's saying, look, before you refuse to forgive somebody else, think about the forgiveness that you need. Think about how far you were from God. Because there's one thing you have in common with your offender. You sin too. You need forgiveness too. So much, in fact, you could never, ever, ever repay it. The only hope is to have a total, complete, fresh start like this servant did in the initial part of the story. Now, by now, in the message, 15 minutes in, you're thinking of somebody who's hurt you. You're thinking of somebody that you need to forgive, somebody that you can't trust, somebody that you're still harboring something deep in your heart about. Now stop thinking about that for a moment and think about this. If you're taking notes, this is one you want to write down. I need to accept God's forgiveness. The servant was forgiven and accepted. If you follow Christ, you are rich with forgiveness. The fact that he was forgiven changed nothing about his heart. And when I understand and accept God's true forgiveness, it changes my heart. A person can be a follower of Christ and still be full of hopelessness and burdens and bitterness. I see it all the time. Accept the forgiveness that God offers. And when you finally grasp that, thank you God for what you've done then you're able to give that out to other people when they wrong you. See, this guy, just he never accepted, really accepted the master's forgiveness. I mean, he thought he could pay it off. Just give me a chance and I'll pay off the 200,000 years of labor that I owe you. I mean, the king must have just laughed and thought, are you crazy? There's no way you could ever pay this back. He's probably thinking, I... I'm good, I can work hard, I can, I can pay off the debt. And the servant, or the master had to be thinking, you just, you can't, it's too big, you won't be able to do it. I mean, I, I really respect people who work hard, 
who build something, who make it, who, who come from nothing and make something out of themselves where they can make a contribution to the rest of the world. That's an inspiring story. Every time you see somebody that was nothing and they worked really hard and they put in the hours and they took the risks and they put in the time and they didn't ask for people to hand them stuff and they just worked really hard and they succeeded. Those stories are inspiring to me. Doesn't it inspire you when you hear somebody who was nothing, who had no chances and all of a sudden their hard, hard work after many years paid off. And from a human side, that's great. But with God, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, God doesn't say, well, he works really hard. I like him better. That's not how it works. When all of us who follow Christ hope someday and will someday be in heaven with God after this life is over, we're going to get to go on to a whole new place, a whole new life that's full of perfection. Now, when you see me up there, you're not going to say, well, how did he get here? And somebody else say, well, he led that church. You remember up there in Raleigh, he led that church, worked really hard, worked lots of hours and built his team and, and, and endured and just kept on. And then God said, well done. You worked really hard. No, I, I'm going to be there because a long time ago. My life was a wreck. It was a mess. I was headed down the wrong road. And I was the servant before the king saying, I can't, I, I need help. And he said, I forgive you. And that's the only way any of us are going to be. There's no self-made men in heaven. It doesn't work that way. So when you realize how much you need it, it's easier to give it out. See, Jesus was talking to a group of people who thought, who didn't think they really needed forgiveness. They thought they were good. They thought they'd done all the right things. So it was hard for them to give it out. I mean, they would say, God, thank you. This is the day of atonement. Thank you, God, for all the forgiveness. But look at those evil people over there. Have you noticed all those bad people? One day Jesus was with his disciples and he was at a Pharisee's house, this religious leader of the day, and they were eating dinner and this woman shows up and she's so broken by the kind of life she lives, she begins to cry and she's standing at the feet of Jesus, her tears fall on his feet and she takes her hair and she wipes her tears off the feet of Jesus with her hair. And so the religious people in the room start to say, can you believe he's letting a woman like that touch him? She's full of sin. She's messed up. And the world sees her as nothing. And Jesus, the Son of God, is allowing her to even touch him. How can he do that? Jesus responds in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as, great love has, as, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So he's trying to tell these religious people, you think you don't need much forgiveness? Well, then you're not going to give much out. She knew she needed it. She realized she needed a new start. And she accepted the forgiveness Jesus offered. Now, you may have never fully done that. You may be thinking, wow, this is great. Maybe it's the first time you've heard this. I can get the debt canceled. I can get... I, I can really receive forgiveness. If you've never done that, come and talk to me or Rob Perry, the site pastor here after the service. We'd love to guide you through what it means to accept God's forgiveness. 
Because not only do I need to accept his forgiveness, I need to extend it to others. Remember, we're all wronged at some point, and then we have a choice. You know, maybe right now you're struggling with, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Donnie, but I'm just not sure about the whole forgiveness thing. I just don't know if I can do it. There's an emotional freedom that exists only for those who truly forgive from the heart. And there's a torture through life that awaits those that harbor hurts and refuse to forgive. The guy Pierce O'Farrell I mentioned earlier that was shot three times, near death, life forever altered in the Colorado shooting, was asked by a reporter while he was still in the hospital, could you ever forgive that guy that shot you? Here's what he said. Of course I can forgive him with all my heart. When I saw him on TV at his hearing, I felt nothing but sorrow for him. He's just a lost soul right now. I would really like to see him sometime. The first thing I want to say is, I forgive you. The next is, can I pray for you? See, even though Pierce was wronged, even though he has every reason to want revenge and to be filled with hate for what he saw, he understands something. When I forgive, I am free. Now, I realized when, when I was putting this message together, I thought, you know, some, I know people who do great at this. They understand what God has done, and they're such a forgiving person. And when I was writing some of these thoughts down, I thought, there's a lot of people who don't even really need to hear this. They live it. But then I know there's some people who need to hear it. Some people who have never really understood the depths of forgiveness that God has given them and enjoyed that and relished in that. And they carry weight around they don't need to carry. So here's, here's the question you need to ask yourself. Is there someone in your life who if they got hit by a truck, you'd be a little bit happy. Or, or something bad happened to them, you'd think, well, they finally got what was coming to them. Good. If there is, then you need to forgive. And, and maybe it's not possible to stand in front of that person and say, I forgive you. Stand in front of the mirror and say it to them. What they're doing is up to them. The life, whatever they're living is up to them, but the forgiveness is up to you. I met with a person once whose father had died and their father had hurt them deeply, had altered the course of their life in a negative way because of the way they'd been treated by their dad. And he died. And so I suggested, won't you just write him a letter? And they wrote their dad a letter and I got to see it, and it was just filled with, I forgive you. Now, the dad never knew, he died not knowing that. Maybe not even knowing the extent at which he'd hurt this person. But they forgave. And I saw them many months later, and they said, that letter changed my life. Because they truly forgave. So step one, receive the forgiveness that God gives you. And then be his conduit to be forgiving to others. Because we're all messed up. And sooner or later, you're going to have to go to somebody and say, forgive me. Sooner or later, somebody's going to look at you and say, forgive me. And you want to be able, because of God's love, because of God's forgiveness, to say, I forgive you.
Let's pray. God, thank you for this story that illustrates the depths that you've gone to to forgive us. God, may the people or the person in this room who needs to feel your forgiveness and feel the weight lifted of forgiving their offender, may they take that step with courage today and experience a life that's not only forgiven, but a life that forgives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.